Okay, well, thank you all for coming. Super grateful to be able to wrestle and talk about all of this with all of you. What questions do you have for our scholars? And feel free to wrestle, ask all the things. So this was left over from yesterday. So um, it seemed to me that, like going over Genesis, that the goal was to get rid of the chaos. And that by the end of Genesis 1 and 2, well, let's say 1, the chaos was ordered. And that all of like American Protestant Protestantism is always about, OK, at the end of the message, it's like everything's ordered. Jesus is with us. And so then we go through life expecting that. And I listen to other people's prayers expecting it. Whereas wouldn't it be better if we just said the chaos is still going to be here? But you know, kind of like what you've said is, but God is with you. I mean, how do you convert everybody's thought process so that they expect the chaos and then see how God's going to work within it, rather than thinking it's all going to be finished? I mean, I think the Israelites were way better at it than we are. Yeah. You brought up Levinson, and he, in his book, he, he talks about how their sacrificial system was just enacting, pushing back the chaos. And, and they did it time after time, noting the chaos is here, and so let's cut up this animal and act and push it to the right places, and we're going to reorder again and again yeah. and again. And I think that that's part of, um, you know, people, sometimes my friends are like, you go to church every Sunday? And I'm like, yeah, I need it every Sunday. I need it again and again and again because that chaos is coming in. And so, yeah, I think that, I think if we had a way of, I mean, maybe we do in our worship services, but if we had a way of being like, we are enacting pushing back the chaos again, like the ancient Israelites did when they cut that animal and then cooked it, that would be really nice. So you're advocating for a barbecue every Yes, day. <laughs> yes, 100%. We're vegetarian think, in our sparse oh, space. I know. That's right. Well, you can do it with grain, too. Like, you put the grain out, and you go, do, 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 and then you have a nice little lunch. And that's what fed them, too. The pushing back the chaos also fed them. Which, and, cool. and some of the sacrifices, not all, but some of them were actually pushing back the chaos of a disordered human relationship. Yes. Not just humans to God, but human to human. Mm -hmm. So we have, I've harmed you, I've done something terrible, I've, har I've killed your donkey by accident, it's followed by like, all those things, and then there's things that are programmed to sort of set some order back in, or we've had a, a really difficult situation, and now we're going to have to do a peace offering. And so when we offer that, we're actually going to have to sit down and eat it together afterwards, which sitting down and feasting together is definitely a pushing back of that chaos. Yeah. Cindy, what were you going to say? Well, I, yeah, I'm still working on my um, brainwashing technique to get everyone to get to my side. <laughs> so I don't have the answer to how we can get all of the Protestant Christians to stop saying certain things. But um, there, it, uh, this is where like, we always go back to over and over and over, context matters, and this is why we have to dig into the text, and this is why things aren't... Like we have to be okay with things being complicated and more complex, and we need humility. These were all things that we were talking about last night, even. I started talking about this a little bit more um, after, so a friend of mine is a composer. He's a jazz music, musician, and he's brilliant. He composes things I don't understand. And for those who know jazz, it's like a play on everything else that comes before, and the blues, and you have to know the history. And so 
he plays stuff and people start laughing. I'm like, I don't, what, what just happened? Like, I don't know, I don't know what you're referencing right now. But when we taught, he, um, it's so great because there is so much of that talk of God split the chaos, ordered the chaos. There was no more chaos until humans brought it back in. There's so much of that that becomes such a knee-jerk reaction to the way that we talk. And he always pushes back against that. He's like, we actually need chaos because chaos gives us dissonance and it gives us texture that we can push off from. And he's like, you know, even in our everyday world, walking is like a little bit of chaos every time because we just fall forward all the time. That's just what we do. And so we need this like dissonance. We need this, it's slightly chaotic. It's just like this weird thing. And he's, so it's, it is a little bit more of the, maybe that's, maybe we're talking about the creation narratives incorrectly. Um, and, and maybe the idea of pushing the boundaries of chaos off, you know, that chaos is always there, but it's contained, and we played our part in that, is where I've been kind of hovering and leaning more recently, but a lot of that is, it comes through the theory of jazz, which I'm still learning, so don't ask me anything about it. <laughs> but I just, I appreciate, this is why I say in our church all the time, I was like, our church desperately needs our artists, because they understand, they hear God differently, they see God differently, they touch God differently, they bring a new perspective, they have the prophetic lens, like, please teach me. Yeah, I think also, not to talk about jazz, but inherent in the art form is improv. So there's a lot of improvisation in jazz, and which means like, you know, you can kind of hear and listen to things and then respond differently to it, whereas when you are playing a piece that's already been completely composed and written out for you, there are rules, right? There's a, there is an order to it. So it might be that we could just start trying to sing our theology to some more improv um, rather than only order, and not to say that God's not in order either, right? I think it's that it's been so exclusively we can only encounter God when things are right, um, that when things go wrong, it must be because of something I've done. And this is something that the ancient Israelites thought too, right? Uh, we don't have rain, we must have done something, um, or we're being exiled, so we did these things, that we must have earned that somehow, or with Jesus and the man born blind. Hey, whose fault is it? Is it this guy or his parents? Somebody needed to be at fault here. Um, so, but then you have books like the book of Job, which end up with the whole, like, nobody's fault and don't even try to understand it, and God's God and you're not, and good luck, right? That's like the sort of Right, the end of that book. So a little bit of improv and a little bit of see, trying to see God in some more flexibility, I think, listening to those stories. Yeah. So I love the image that you shared of Revelation and the sort of the cycles and the circle and the shell. I just found it very striking. It, you know, I think my question was, are you saying that we should, like the, 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 the image that we should get from Revelation is just continued cycles forever? And if so, how should we think about the cycles as they continue? And the reason I say this is because, like, I think it's, like, I, I understand, like, there's some chaos in my own life or whatever. I live a relatively privileged life. But then, like, you know, when you think about, like, you know, how we have more, more years of slavery than we've been out of slavery in this country, or, like, just even reading today about the Afghan refugees who worked with the United States but are, like, struggling to come out through South America. There's no like happy ending for their cycle. 
You know what I'm saying? And so I guess I'm just trying to think about how to think about those things, that there will always be complexity and chaos, but then how do we think about people for whom the chaos just, that was, that was it. Yep. Who wants to go? Oh, man. It, it's, it's such a good question, and I don't, I don't know the right answer. And I think, I think, I just don't know. Do you know? I do think part of, part of it that we have to bring into the conversation is, um, I'm so convinced that people who are refugees, the people who are sitting at our southern border, uh, the African-American, I mean, well, jazz, the blues, <laughs> narratives, um, that they find God in the chaos. God shows up. Yeah, and, and there is something, I, and I don't know how, and I am super uncomfortable with the question, and th this particular question throws me into an existential crisis uh, about four times a year. And sometimes I come out of it, and sometimes I don't for a very long time. So it's like a constant wrestling for me. But the more I talk with people who are working with the unhoused population or impoverished in some way population, I, the stories I continually hear is that God shows up to them. And, and he, when he shows up, he shows up maybe as a version of a Jesus I don't recognize myself because I've not been in that situation. So there's so many times I'm like, I need to sit at your feet so that you can tell me how does God show up in the middle of the Afghan refugees trying to come north um, to enter into a country responsible for a lot of what's going on, right? And, and I don't know. Um, I don't know how to puzzle that out because I'm, like you, in a position of relative privilege. And so I'm not... I'm not sure what God looks like to people from that position, but I know I should ask them because I want to know that Jesus very desperately. And I think their understanding of that Jesus can help me in my chaos. Yeah. I think also the, the Bible, we can all discuss and debate this, I think that the Bible's answer is resurrection. That we don't expect justice on this side of heaven through human systems. And human-centric systems will not provide relief, ultimate relief from a lot of the chaos that we're found in, or that we are being subjected to, or people particularly who are most marginalized and oppressed are being subjected to. Um, so in, in the book of Maccabees, the woman who is watching her children be tortured, she's begging them to not falter so she can see them in the world to come. So she does not anticipate justice in the now. She's like, it's not going to happen. But be faithful to God. This is also like the book of Daniel, right? It's like, hey, God, and with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, right? Like, God may not save us when we go into that fire, but we're not going to bow. And if God doesn't save us, it's okay. But then Jesus, or a figure, shows up. It's always Jesus in all the cartoons for the Christians, right, in all the children's literature. But um, a figure a presence, a divine presence shows up and they're rescued. But the whole point of that story is we're going to be faithful to God whether or not we find justice on this side. Um, in, in, at this moment of the circular story and narrative that we're part of. So I think also the Bible's hope is in justice in the world to come. And that's the book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah and I get, and part of that vision that you guys are talking about is the 
the blood of the lamb, right, which is just remarkably unusual to say we're going to defeat evil by the blood of a, a slain Messiah and the power of the testimony of God's people. Um, and we talked a little bit last night about the primary testimony that I want to live is that I walk in such a way that we all get home. And I think that if I am going to join in, Michael and the archangels, defeating the dragon, then that means that insofar as it depends on me, I join in advocacy for those at the border, for the refugees, for all of, all of those people who are caught in that evil chaos and try to walk in such a way that we all get home and we all get to the end of those cycles, the new Jerusalem. But, it, but it's yeah. tough. Daniel, thanks. thank you for talking about hope, um, because that was in my head all of last night, was just, where's the hope? And so I still struggle with that, because I know what to hope. I don't know how to hope. I think of, when I think of um, faith, hope, and love, I think faith and love are definitely verbs, but if, is hope a verb? And if so, how do I hope? I know what to hope, but I'm not sure I know how to hope. So yeah. can you help us that's such that. a good question thank you Craig. it's fantastic all right is it a verb is hope a verb i love that and and how then do i do it <laughs> uh yeah i mean i've i this is where i feel like you know would you like my seat i don't know i don't know it is going to be my answer because i struggle with it on a on a regular basis um so the hope is hard, but I think both faith and hope for me, and well, maybe I'll, well, I can't speak for Deuteronomy, but leaning heavily on Deuteronomy, the, the remembering, remembering the character of God is part of where I think the hope has to come. Um, and we humans are awful at remembering, which is why there's, there's all these elements in place. Like in Deuteronomy, there's like a ton of different ways to uh, kind of shake the memory and pull it to the forefront of your head. And it pulls forward. So, okay, so now that I'm getting started. So place and memory are intimately connected. Uh, they, you cannot separate them. So if you remember an event, you remember the place. So where, like, what was the last present someone gave you? Well, when you remember the last present someone gave you, you know where you were. I was standing in my kitchen, I was in the park, I was like, it, it's, pl it's a placed memory. And memory is connected to emotion, which is then also why we have all of these modern day therapies that are all about like healing, not just your thought process, but the emotion that, and what it's doing to your body, right? So Deuteronomy is brilliant because it knows these things already. And it puts a whole system in place as to how to stoke the fire of your memory because then you're supposed to remember who God is and that God is the one who bends his ear to the cries of the oppressed and that is repeated throughout the Hebrew Bible. God is the one who hears those who cry out. He heard the Israelites cry out in Egypt. He, that is just who he is and then 
he responds. And I think there's something in the memory, not just that, like a list of events that helps build our faith that God will do it again, but of what his character is, and that in remembering the character, we go, oh, I mean, he's the one who stands up for me, and then it it attaches this memory and emotion is supposed to be, you're supposed to remember the hardship of the of when you were slaves and the hardship of the exile so that you can relive the hope of having arrived right, right. in the land of promise. Not just remember, act it out, right? Like, yeah. So just, so you, the remembering is, remember how you were wandering? Okay, so now you're going to remember that by making a fort and living it with your family for eight days every year. So that's how much we need you to remember this because we need you to ask, we, we understand if we just say, hey, don't forget, that that happened. You actually have to put it back into some sort of physical, physicality of the memory as well. And so Anna, really quick, do you think hope is a verb? And how do you find hope in the chaos? Well, I think, I think that so much of what you guys have been saying is, is all a part of it. Um, that you're talking about embodying the memory, right? And, um, and so, like, along with the memory of slavery, you embody the memory of that deliverance. And that, that is the hope, right? And so I guess that for me, when I think about what hope is, hope is living in such a way that you really believe it's true, you know? Like, I really do think that right will triumph over all that is wrong, and I'm going to live like I actually think that, because that is my hope. And so in that way, I think that hope, it's not an ephemeral thing. It's something that's firm, that, you, that you're going to live into, not because you're like, gosh, I really hope that's true, but like, mm, I'm going to lean into it and act like it is. Does that make sense? And act like it can be, right? Yeah. So I will just add another thing. I actually do think it's a verb. Yeah. But I think it's not just an emotional feeling verb of like, I hoped it really, like I believed it really hard or really, really wanted it. I hoped so hard it would happen. I think, and this is also to um, Dancing in the Darkness with by Reverend Otis, Otis Moss, which you, we should all read. Um, I'll put it in the Spark Library. Uh, maybe it'll be our next book club, Craig. Um, but I think he talks about how it has to be paired with action, right? So it, there's, no, there's no point in any of us going and saying, oh man, like this injustice, fill in blank, is so insurmountable, but I guess I'll sign this petition, or I guess I'll still go out and, you know, walk on and stand on the corner once a month, or, or I'll still go to this actionable item that I can do here, or whatever. We do those things because we hope that something will change. So part of being a follower of Jesus is to believe that things are better already because they will be better soon because the story's already been written because we already know that the dragon is in the sea because this story has been told to us we know how it's going to end and now we get to just continue to work it's the song we sang at the very beginning the kingdom is coming we're waiting for it and we're working for it and so those things the hope is built in to us doing something about what it is we see and that also isn't just, oh, I'm in my privilege, and now I feel better about the fact that somebody who is suffering 
um, hasn't gone unnoticed because I've written my letter, right? It is also that the person who's suffering could be saying, I hope someone cares. I hope someone is listening. I hope someone is remembering me and is acting on behalf of me. And this is where we come back into the body of Christ and to embody the presence of Jesus and the way of Jesus in our space. Like Sparks, you know, resurrection is one of our five values because of hope. And our tagline, like what we're doing, our vision statement is inspiring people to live the way of Jesus because that way brings hope. Now, just responding to what you just said, isn't that where lament comes in? Because I, I read a book several years ago from if I pronounce it correctly, Sung Jun Ra, who says, you have oh, to go yeah. through lament, yeah. through that lived experience oh, with your so body, yeah. and then hope comes. You have to live through it. Yeah. And, and that's also what you say, like, you know, you turn to God, and then you can see God in the afterward, or mm-hmm. so. Um, yeah, thanks. It is uh, this... Uh, Walter Brueggemann has a book, it's an old, old, old book, yeah. The Prophetic Imagination, yeah. which I think um, is deeply connected to the idea of lament, because the prophetic imagination, it, well, it's like a couple of things we've kind of touched on, in terms of the things as they currently are existing can be so much better. They have this higher potential, and the higher potential is this ultimate Design. It's almost this craving that God has for us to experience the fullness of our humanity, the fullness of the creation that is around us. And, um, and I think lament is a process of saying, it's broken, we've broken it, or it's broken. You know, and in all of the laments in the Psalms, there's the processing through and going, but God is the one who can handle that lament. And at the end of the day, I will rejoice in the fact I get to turn towards God. But I think you're right. I love that comment because I think you're correct in terms of the lament and the hope being connected. I think for me, the hope also comes into the point of view that it, while I personally or somebody I deeply care about might not experience a deliverance, that doesn't mean that God's not being faithful. Like the, the character of God has changed because it, he didn't do it for me right? And so there's stories consistently, whether it's the psalmists who are lamenting or um, the unnamed servant girl with the prophet Naaman, right? She's my favorite because she's been taken captive in war. Her life has, there's no reason why she should think the God of Israel is at all powerful. And she's taken into Assyria and she's in Nineveh and it's bad and it's awful. And her, and Naaman is suffering from leprosy. And she's like, oh, if only my master would go back to Israel, you could for sure get healed. First of all, why do you care about that dude? I'd be like, suffer all day. And then second, so she's compassion. She's unnamed and she's a girl and they listen to her and they go all the way back to Israel for this. And it's because of this then that God is known in Nineveh and is going to be worshiped there in that, in that space. My goodness, what kind of faith and hope does she have to have to believe that God can be a God of healing for this foreigner who's an oppressor when God did not deliver her. So are we only so, you know, myopic in our own experiences and faith that we only think that God is God and that God is faithful or hopeful or true or, or all-powerful if he does it for me personally? Or can we also, like first and second and third generations of the Israelites in Egypt, you know, was God still faithful to them even though it wasn't for 400 years that they were set free? Okay, so I just want to say I appreciate you bringing up lament because... 
it's, um, it's a place where I live. Um, <laughs> but this is why I want to ask, based on what you just said about like God doing it for me, this isn't really a question like that I expect y'all to answer. But my question is like, then when do we bring back the old test, the old like testimony service? Yes. Because oh, so when you good. say the word of your testimony, I'm like, okay, I know chaos exists out there. Right, right. And I can talk about chaos all day long, but I want to know what God's doing in the life of my brothers yep. and sisters so that I hang on to hope. Yep. Because I'm tired. Yeah. Yes. I'm tired. I'm sad. I'm like, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. But there is good stuff going on in my life and in the lives of other people in my community, and I want to hear about that Amen. so that when I am lamenting, that I actually hang on to oh, hope. Amen. <laughs> yep, yep. Amen. Yep. Yeah, that. Yep. That. Yep. We just did at our church, um, part of our Easter and Eastertide season, we were doing the seven signs in John, which uh, John tells us at the end of the gospel are all signs that point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the king of the kingdom. Right? Like, that, well, that's the Parker Cindy Parker rendition. Um, and, and out of that, I kept, I kept craving exactly what you just said. Because I was like, it's great, these signs, these miracles to these particular people point to Jesus' Messiahship, and that's a beautiful thing to study. But we have to hear the signs that are in our midst right now, because God is not one to stay still. And so... Where are the signs in this room that point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the king of the kingdom that is on earth here as it is in heaven? And I think we so badly, and this is when yeah, we, yeah. we get so into what my experience is and my salvation and my faith, that we forget that we are buoyed up mm-hmm. by the entire community. And I so often don't see Jesus as a Messiah and so often need the people around me to stand next to me and be like, we can sing those words when you can't sing them. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll just breathe your air. There is something it. brewing. <laughs> because you told me at dinner there was. Yesterday, you talked about, personally, Cindy, talked about um, your experience of, I need to lean in, I need to be a strong, independent woman, and oh, that yeah. was part of the narrative that was spoken to you and that you felt like you needed to live into, respond to. But then you said something about referencing Deuteronomy again. You said, but that's not biblical. And I was like, what did she mean by that? (laughs) And and I think, but maybe also making it tying back to the topic here is like, it's also the kind of thing we're talking about what is hope? It's also interesting to talk about what isn't hope. Because that can be a prompting too, mm-hmm. right? And so I was, like, well, I was trying to kind of connect it both, no matter what your gender is, yeah. how you identify, what is my response? What is biblical? Yeah. As opposed to being strong and independent and regardless of Yeah, awesome. I'm getting massive amounts of therapy in this visit to Spark. <laughs> Nancy, so let me did you, play that? this out in front of everyone. <laughs> so forgive me as I'm like, it's hard, it's depressing, I can't believe it. 
Um, there's, a, there's a couple things. One is we live in an individualistic Western society. The Bible was written in an Eastern society, and those create such vastly different ways of seeing the world and interacting with the world. And so much of what Deuteronomy is saying is for people in an Eastern like, frame of reference that is very community-driven. Like, and who you are within this community and how does the community function, which pretty much Deuteronomy and the vision that it casts, right? Because Deuteronomy is also responsible for Deuteronomy 15, there will be no poor among you, but when there are poor, treat them this way, right? So it, it has this dual, like, I'm going to cast a vision for how good it can be. I really think in Deuteronomy, there is the belief they can create a society in a place that can be Edenic, but they're not actually going to get there. And then the reality part. But all the systems that are in place, all the ways it tells you how to shape society, how to shape where you live, how to, how to shape your interactions with people and with God, is not you on your own, but all y'all, and my responsibility within the all y'all and it, and it plays and it goes back and forth between those two things. And so I think in, like, we're such a long history of, like, within the Western world. I think you guys talk about this at Spark, too. But um, I think being on the receiving end of a lot of Western shaping individualism that has competitive nature at its core is... I have to prove myself, like I'm not worthy and I have to prove myself worth. And so I can look at other people then too and be like, they're not worthy until they prove that they are worthy. And I think that is so toxic. I can't get rid of it. It's still actually, so are there counselors in the audience? <laughs> if you want to help me, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but. There's just like, I think that's such a toxic way of being. And so, but that is what we tell people. And even growing up as a woman and, and I just, I had so many people because so many women were fighting so many battles and they're like, you have to go out and fight this battle and take care of yourself. And, you know, and so I get where that comes from, but what I wasn't given was a church community that said, Hey, come on in here. We got you, you know, and you know, so here you belong, you belong with us and we got you as a community. Okay, now you can go be strong and you can go, like we send you forth to spread the good news that all those other people can also come and we got all of them too. Basically what I tell you is um, I have the best friends and um, <laughs> many of them are here at Spark. So thank you all for being those dear friends. Thank you for coming and meeting all my friends. And thank you all for being willing to wrestle and study um, and come with hope that Jesus is with us in all of it and that we are moving towards a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth that's going to come crashing down here and where um, Babylon is no more. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Shalom Aleichem. Peace be upon you. Thank you, guys. Good night. Thank you, guys. Thank you.